The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Lauren Rublin, Senior Managing Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today to learn about the outlook for tech stocks in 2022. This is our last Barron's Live episode of 2021, and I'm so glad I get to spend it talking with Barron's Deputy Editor, Alex Ewell. He's one of the smartest observers of the tech sector anywhere, in my view, and he's done a masterful job of shepherding our coverage of everything tech-related this year. He also hosts his own podcast, The Readback, and if you haven't listened to it yet, do yourself a favor and download it over the holidays. So welcome back to Barron's Live, Alex. Hey, Lauren, uh, and, and thank you so much, and also thank you for uh, taking us, uh, all of us, through these um calls and Barron's live uh, events over the last year. And, and oh, two years now, I guess, right, that we've been doing this. Okay. It'll be two years in March, which is pretty amazing when you think about it. But thank you. It's been a pleasure. So as goes tech, so goes the market, or so it has seemed to many of us this year. But before we peer into 2022, which I promised, let's have a look back at some of the big themes of 2021 in tech land. What strikes you as, as some of the biggest surprises, most notable moves, and so forth? Yeah, so, you know, it's been a little bit, for tech, it's been a little bit quieter this week. So that I, as I was thinking about all this um, last night as I was thinking about the call and sort of what, as you said, like what some of the big themes are. And I think the, the biggest thing that came to mind for me is that it was this, it felt like this huge year for lots of individual tech stocks and tech companies, but really kind of a modest one for the tech market overall, at least relatively speaking. So um, as of last night, at least, and NASDAQ is up a decent amount today, almost 1% last I looked. But so these are all sort of last night numbers. Um, the NASDAQ is up about 20% on the year. A great year, right? But that actually trails the S&P 500's 25% gain. Um, and this 20% gain for the NASDAQ is actually a pretty subdued result, given how tech stocks had been trading um, in recent years. So I kind of refreshed my memory as to where we've been. Um, last year, the NASDAQ was up 44% and it was up 35% in 2019. It's averaged a 22% gain over the last five years. So, you know, I don't think it felt this way in real time, but but 2021 was kind of an average year for tech, um, at, at least of late. That's that's really amazing. What do you think the gains of the recent years of recent years have told us? Is it that Tech is now dominating every aspect of our lives, of industry, and of markets. Yeah, right. I mean, I think what's interesting about those numbers is that in a lot of ways, we've thought of we've this idea of tech and the pandemic have become so intertwined that it's hard. It, it all of the upside for tech has been focused on the pandemic, but when you and, and how we, our habits have changed. But when you hear those numbers for like 2018 and 2019, um, I'm sorry for yeah for. For 2020 and 2019, you know, we were tech was rallying well before the pandemic. So yes, I think it, it was it is this this overall idea that that tech is taking over something we've talked about for a long time, and that um, obviously 
the interest rate environment has been very favorable for for growth stocks and, and tech certainly fits that bill. And so that's what's going to make, I think, 2022 so interesting. Um, I think we've been saying for a little while now that we're at this um, at, at, at this inflection point. Um, but, you know, I think really what's happening is is as there's these dominant names in technology um, and, and that's what's driving our perception of, and they're doing great. And that's more what's driving our perception of the overall tech market right now, even if the NASDAQ actually uh, underperformed on the year. I want to get into those for a minute, but I want to go back to 2019 and just remark that this was before we got to zero interest rates, before we got to big fiscal and monetary support for the economy. I had forgotten all about that huge gain in 2019. So- Right. I'm, glad, I'm glad you're reminding all of us about that. But it, maybe it didn't feel like such a subpar year this year because of the great performance of those big tech stocks, which you just referenced. Take us through what happened with some of those names. Yeah, sure. I do think, and it's hard to separate big tech stocks from the tech market, right? So I would point that out because they are, you know, the five mega caps are so much of, of, of the market right now. I mean, they're more than 20, 25% of, of the S&P 500 alone and and even you know so so it's hard to separate them and and so um on that when you look at some of these these big individual names they did outperform right so apple is up is up 32 percent this year um and again I'll, I'll use some history there because i really think it's hard to underestimate what apple stock has been doing um so up 32 percent this year but it was up 81 percent last year and 86 percent in 2019. the law of large numbers doesn't seem to apply yeah i mean this is not normal for for a small stock right and, and let alone the largest stock in the market um we can talk in a, in a bit more on what we think happens next, um, but just to highlight a few other of the big, you know, the sure. mega caps. Microsoft was up fifty percent this year, um, so far better than Apple. Alphabet sixty seven percent, and then Facebook, um, for all its problems, was still up twenty one percent on the year, sort of in lot, almost in well, in line with the Nasdaq. Um, the only the, the only real dud among the mega caps um, this year has been Amazon. It's it's only up five percent on the year. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But I have to say, Alex, hasn't it been a lot more fun to cover tech, for instance, than to be the utilities editor? Uh, you know, <laughs> I just have to say that it is fun to cover tech um, for sure. Yes. Never, never a dull moment. So Amazon's poor performance, which I promise we will discuss in more detail, was a big surprise to a lot of people, I think, including me. Yeah. What else would you say surprised you about tech stocks in 21? Yeah. So there's sort of, I, I was thinking about this idea and there's sort of a few different tiers here, right? Among 2021 surprises, um, the market, so, so the market had multiple surprises in, in, in the way things performed. For me, I would say the biggest sort of, um, the market's biggest surprise that was sort of a non-surprise was what we saw from all the stay-at-home stocks in 2021. Um, I think that's a big theme for the year and, and sort of how they've really fallen apart. So Zoom, Peloton, Roku, Chewy, they really had these impossible setups coming into the year. And, and sure enough, what happened was the reopening, at least while we were still really having this reopening, was nearly as bad as for their stocks as the lockdowns were good. Um, some numbers, Peloton is down 75% year to date. Zoom is down 43% year to date. Chewy is down 38%. Roku is down 32%. So that's sort of the biggest um, non-surprise surprise, I, I, I would say. Um, although, you know, I think the Peloton sell-off, um, the severity of it, it still has to be somewhat surprising. I would not, we all saw some pain coming. 
I think, uh, 75%, that, that feels surprising. Um, you know, the stock is now back near its November 2019 levels before we even had any idea of COVID. So it was 35 then, it's now about 38, although I think as of today, maybe back right at that 35 level. So um, that's down from more than $160 a share a year ago. That was that was certainly too high. Now I'm starting to wonder, you know, is Peloton and some of the are some of these stay-at-home stocks um, too cheap? I think that's a good question, and that's going to be one of the big questions for 2022. A lot of paper wealth has been evaporated. Where yeah. do you think we go from here? Yeah, um, you know, there was this really interesting or, or thoughtful story in the Atlantic recently about how Peloton had become sort of a proxy for for our lives and where we're at with the pandemic and the change in our habits and how Peloton stock is almost measured that, right? So it's up, it's down. It's really about how we're feeling about embracing old habits versus new post-COVID habits. So I think that applies to some of these products, to Peloton's product as well as its stock. Um, and, and I guess for me, it's still hard for me to believe that something hasn't changed permanently out of all of this. Um, you know, I, we've talked about this before. I personally don't see virtual meetings ever going away. I don't see at-home workouts disappearing. You know, we've learned that these things, we were forced to learn that these things are more efficient. Um, They're also you know, more cost-effective in many ways for companies. Depending, yes, right. Depending on how you measure it, for sure. Um, so, you know, I still see another big, I think we're going to have another big reopening surge. Let's, you know, really... Hopeful, and I think the market post Omicron that come February, March, we're going to get this next real reopening. Hopefully, this time it really sticks. We'll get a return to old behaviors again. But then I think you know the pendulum swings back again, and and we sort of reassess and realize that we don't have to run away from every one of these pandemic habits that we created. Some of them simply are better, right? Um, so then I think the question is, well, okay, how do we value all of it? Um, in terms of the market. And, and that's, right. that's still tough. Um, you know, I think for Peloton, for instance, no one knows what the future holds. Sales were up 120% in fiscal 2021, which is over, but they, Wall Street expects just 13% growth um, in the coming, in the current year. And then sort of 20% type growth from there. And the company's losing a lot of money still. Wall Street's not seen any profit for Peloton until 2025. So, you know, I don't know. I, I'm not quite sure. That said, the stock actually doesn't look that expensive anymore, at least on a price to sales basis. It's trading at two times um, June 2023 year end sales. So, you know, it almost seems as though the company needs another product since yeah, I, I think you that, wanted to buy the bike have now bought the bike. I think that's true. And if any, I think that's a really good point. I think that's been a disappointment for a lot of investors. They have this new strength product, but it's sort of a a smallish product for them. Um, you know, I think people are waiting for a rowing machine. Maybe that's the catalyst that gets things moving again. So, you know, I could talk about Peloton forever, but I'm, I'm guessing not everyone is as, as, is as excited, interested in it as I am. So uh, I, I won't say too much more. <laughs> well, you're, you're a big biker. I know that. But we'll we'll see if you become a big rower once they get the machine. Oh, gosh, yeah. Not a, it's, yeah. Yes, we will see. Right. So are there... Um, the stay-at-home theme, I want to stay on that for a minute. Yeah. Were there any stay-at-home stocks that managed to surprise over the past year and still have a good 2021, even yes. as we reopened, closed, and reopened again and so forth? Yeah, so this is where there is a real surprise, I think, um, and not one you know we fully expected, which is that there was this pocket of the stay-at-home trade that's done incredibly well in, in 2021, and that's 
around computers, PCs, right? So uh, HP Inc. and Dell, for instance, are two names that did really well or did well in the pandemic, not Peloton well, but well, because suddenly families were trying to buy and school systems were buying up a lot of computers, Chromebooks, laptops um, for work at home and, and, and learning at home, right? So, but that's one trend that interestingly did not reverse uh, in recent months or this year. Um, so HP is up 52% and it's having sort of this late stay-at-home rally almost. Um, what, what seems to be happening is that in the last year, you had people at home buying computers. This year, you've had businesses buying computers as they prepare for this sort of new type of work and, and just are doing sort of refreshes. Um, so HP is doing better this year than it, than it did last year, at least the stock is. Uh, and Dell is seeing something similar. It's up 49% this year. Is um, Apple also seeing this with its iMac division? To some degree, yes, I think so. You know, it's uh, for sure. It, Apple had this huge iPad surge last year. I think that slowed to some degree. Um, same with the iMacs. But yes, I think that's still in place. Of course, with Apple, you know, it doesn't move the needle anywhere near the way it does for, for, HP. for HP and Dell, which are almost pure plays on the theme, right? Um, <laughs> so I think HP is a really interesting stock now. It had really just been, and there was terrible sentiment around HP for a long time because of the, the decline in PC sales and, and the fact that we were in this, people thought we were in this kind of post PC world where tablets and phones were just taking over. So now PCs are having this, this second wind. And I think there's reason to think it, it could last a while. Uh, and in the meantime, from a sort of stock perspective, HP is, is interesting because it's buying back huge amounts of stock. Um, our colleague, Eric Savitz has been pretty bullish on them. Um, between I think this year and next year, HP could buy back something like a quarter of its of, of all of its stock, and the it also yields uh, nearly three percent. So, so they're you know, very good to shareholders. Yeah, so I think HP is really interesting. It's it's just it's managed to be both a stay at home stock and a, and a reopening stock, and so that's a uh, that's a tough balance. But but they seem to be one tech company that's managed to uh, to walk that line. That's interesting, and it's not a stock a lot of people are thinking about these yeah, days. Yeah. So let's go back to big tech, which everyone is thinking about. You mentioned Amazon has a rare disappointment among big tech this year. What do you think is going on with the company and how much do you think relates to the management change with Jeff Bezos stepping down as CEO? Yeah, you know, I do think it's a few things. Um, one is the, the sort of changing dynamics post, uh, well, uh, with the reopening. Um, so Amazon had this massive 2020, the stock was up 76%. And then it really looked more like a, a stay-at-home stock in terms of the way it traded. And e-commerce slowed considerably. I think sales went from something like 40%. Sales growth for e-commerce, a big, you know, half their business or more, went from like 40% growth to more like 15% growth um, for e-commerce as people sort of returned to shopping in stores. So, so that's one thing. And that was more the first half of 2021 story, I feel like, to some degree. Right. Um, and then... And through this, of course, you did. We got Andy Jassy stepping in, taking on the CEO role. And, and I think we've all sort of, we wrote about this at the time. We all said Amazon would be fine. Andy Jassy had been sort of an important number two player running their cloud computing division for a very long time. Um, and I think, I think it's right to say that Amazon will be fine, but maybe we underestimated a little bit sort of just that, that transition, right? I mean, 
Hard to know from the answer. It's going to take time. It's hard to know. It's sort of one of those psychological factors that maybe is hard to price in or hard to discount for. Um, and, I, and I do think it's fair to say that there's not going to be another Jeff Bezos. I mean, and, and he got so much attention this year, not for running Amazon anymore, but for what he did with, <laughs> with, with space and Blue Origin. So, right. you know, I, I, I do think that's part of it. And then there's the other issue which we've talked about a lot, which is all the regulatory stuff. Um, so I think Amazon right now, along with Facebook, are probably the biggest regulatory targets. Um, and, and Facebook is... I think easily price this in as a stock, um, right? Facebook is incredibly cheap. Amazon trades at like 66 times next year's earnings. Facebook trades at just 23 times. By the way, it's, I shouldn't call it Facebook anymore because it's meta platforms, but we'll, we'll just stick with Facebook for this. But Facebook is cheap. Amazon is not. So from a regulatory perspective, maybe Amazon has not yet priced in some of these risks. Um, you know, yesterday uh, on an otherwise pretty slow news day, Bloomberg had a report that the FTC was is also looking at antitrust issues, not just with Amazon.com and e-commerce, but now around its AWS cloud business. Um, so that that sort of opens up a new front there, I think, and maybe a, a scary one for investors because AWS is the the profit center for Amazon. Um, you know, I I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how that one plays out. Amazon certainly does not have a monopoly in the cloud. Um, not at all. And we should point property. out again, Alex, as we have on many of these calls, that for all of regulators' interest in this industry, not a lot has actually happened. No, not a lot has happened. Now, the FTC, uh, you know, Lena Khan is, is taking a new tax. Um, so I do still think there's this question in the air. Well, now we're, we can ask ourselves, well, will 2022 finally be the year that something does happen? Um, Amazon's stock, I think, was down like 1% yesterday, possibly on this news. So not a, not a big move. But if AWS gets brought into the antitrust debate, that's a new, that is maybe concerning. Um, that's a wrinkle for sure that yeah, we don't want to right. see. So, um, you know, because it's one thing to regulate the lower profit e-commerce business. But if you start maybe messing around with this really super profitable cloud business, then then maybe investors do get worried. I, I think it'll be it'll be worth watching. Right, right. Um, so, you know, I, I guess just lastly on Amazon, I, I would say I think we are as a we are still bullish on Amazon. I mean, you know, it's 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 a long term winner. I, I don't I don't know how long Amazon underperforms for. It's got so many things kind of in the fire, um, and I think a lot of us. And I want to be careful because there are plenty of people out there who maybe um, are not living their lives or buying everything on Amazon. But in certain parts of the country, at least, I think Amazon is, we're more reliant on Amazon than we've, than we've ever been. Well, we learned that at Barron's recently when there was an outage at AWS, the cloud oh. business, and it yeah. helped some of our publishing. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, uh, that AWS, from that perspective, has had a bit of a tough month. Um, I assume right. they'll fix that, but, but that hasn't helped. Um, Let's hope, because many businesses depend on them. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like you think Amazon might be a good bet for 2022. I'm curious to know what you think about the rest of big tech. And while you're talking, I encourage listeners to send in your last questions for the year, and we'll try to get to them before the end of the call. So yeah, what about sure. the rest of big tech? Alex? All right, so let's go through some of them. Um, you know, I, I've been pretty bullish on Apple for a long time. I don't really see a reason to change that. The stock isn't cheap at this point, around 30 times forward earnings or 31 times forward earnings. 
Um, but I think in some ways the company's ecosystem itself is still doesn't get enough credit and, and maybe part is partly undervalued. Um, you know, it, it doesn't, I kind of keep saying this, but it doesn't really matter how many iPhones the company sells anymore because we are hooked as a, as a world, certainly in the U S um, and I think that's a great place for them to be because they'll just continue to sell more and more services to us and, and probably over time find ways to either charge us more or sell us additional products. So I just think, and, and all of that, by the way, um, that's the reason Apple's um, PE multiple has continued to expand, I think, because it's a, they've, they've really changed their business model in a lot of ways, going from a hardware-focused model to a this sort of soft services um, subscription model. And, and I think investors really, really like that. And, um, and that's driven a lot of the upside. And I, and I don't see that necessarily changing. So you could get this multiple, continued multiple expansion, even if profits don't grow at a crazy rate. So, you know, so that's for, that's for Apple. Um, Alphabet, we, let's talk about, which we said sure. had, had such a big year. Um, I think Alphabet is also probably in a really good position right now. Uh, one, for, partly because we've, we're seeing these ongoing privacy changes around online advertising. Um, Apple specifically has made it much harder for online, for, for, public, for, for everyone in sort of this online ecosystem to target, to track users. And, and that's making it harder to then target ads. That's fallen uh, specifically, uh, that's hit Facebook really hard. Facebook has fought back against these changes. They've talked about it a lot and it's really spooked investors. Um, Google though, doesn't need to track us. And this is really kind of interesting. It's sort of a, a simple argument, but you know, unlike Facebook, which spends a lot of time splitting its audience and, and packaging it up for advertisers um, to find certain types of people, Google doesn't need to do that really to the same degree because the way they sell ads is by, um, placing ads next to search results, right? And so, so they know what you're looking for. They know what you're looking they for. They don't depend on Apple. They don't depend exact they don't depend on targeting to the same degree at least. Um, they sell ads against searches. Um, so I think you know Alphabet's golden goose is still in place. Um, while Facebook is um, is probably in a little bit of trouble. Interesting. So now let's talk about Facebook a little bit more. Um, it's now called Meta, Plat Meta Platforms, as you noted, reflecting yeah. Mark Zuckerberg's commitment to this thing called the Metaverse. Yeah. yeah. What's the outlook for the Metaverse and for Meta? So, yeah. So here, I mean, we've already, I, I just was a little bit negative on Facebook, but, you know, there, this is where, where I have to point out again, just how cheap Facebook is, right? I mean, it's trading at 23 times next year, next year's earnings. It's basically in line with the market with what the market trades at, right? That's about what the S&P 500 trades at, maybe a little bit higher. Um, and that's despite the fact that Facebook's earnings are still going to be growing uh, in the mid-teens, let's say, annually versus more like the single digits for the S&P 500. So, um, so assuming you think Facebook will figure out these advertising issues, and, and I think they will because A, they have to, and they have the resources to get it done. Um, I think there's, there's good reason to feel pretty bullish about Facebook stock. You know, I, I don't know that they're going to figure out all of their privacy issues and some of their other problems, uh, but that's probably why Mark Zuckerberg is also making this big new bet to sort of change the conversation, right? He quite literally <laughs> changed the name of the company and is changing a lot of where he sees them going, um, making this big new bet on the metaverse. 
So this is something I've been wondering, is the metaverse going to be a real thing or, or a virtual real thing? It's, yeah. it's just meta to begin with. Yep. Or is this just a beneficial distraction for meta platforms, aka Facebook? You know, it's become a... I, I, if I, I, I've been searching for an answer to that. I mean, first of all, we can try to define the metaverse, which is which in and of itself is somewhat hard to do. But, you know, essentially it's this idea that... Um, we are going to be spending more and more of our time in virtual worlds. And when we do, that means we are going to be um, paying for things in the virtual world, which opens up new opportunities there. We are going to be owning virtual things, which opens up new things there like NFTs. Um, we are going to be entertaining ourselves in these virtual worlds, which opens up opportunities for video game companies and others. So if we, I guess the, the best way to think about it is if we're shifting our attention to virtual things, our, our wallets and our pocketbooks are going to, going to be shifting some of our attention there as well. I mean, we've had discussions too about like even consumer products and luxury goods makers selling virtual products um, in addition to physical ones and people actually buying these virtual products because if these are all about status in the real world, they're also about status in a virtual world for, for whatever avatar you have. Now, it seems, I got to say, it seems very funny to me that the virtual world should suddenly gain currency when the real world seems so close at hand again. Yeah, well, that's, the, that's, the that's, scenes and the coming passage, we hope, of COVID. I, I, that, that's a great point. I mean, I guess then it becomes more of this philosophical debate is even post-pandemic, what is, the, how happy are we about our real world right now, right? There's, there's other things going on too that I guess it's been very difficult for people, um, for sure. So it's a great question, um, right? Does the reopening mean that we forget about the metaverse? If we get a true reopening and, and hopefully an end to COVID for the most part of 2022, what does that mean for the metaverse? And it's a, it's a great question. Um, we'll find out. Yeah, I mean, I'm skeptical about a lot of this. Um, it reminds me of some of the other trend, uh, hype we've seen over the last 10, 20 years. I mean, many people will probably remember Second Life. That was sort of an early version of the metaverse. That company still exists today, but barely. Um, there was a lot of attention on esports a couple of years ago um, and virtual sort of sporting events. And, and, and that's sort of not flamed out, but that's died down a little bit. So I think there's good reason to be somewhat skeptical um, about the metaverse. That said, if any, you know, Mark Zuckerberg got us to the arguably one of the biggest tech, technological shifts in, in the last 20 years with social networking. So it is hard to discount him to some degree. That's for sure. So we are going to run short of time. So I want to run through our next two topics quickly. Sure. Microsoft. We haven't talked about Microsoft yet. What's the outlook there? And then we'll talk about chip stocks briefly. Yeah, I mean, Microsoft, um, I think we've probably, I don't think my view on Microsoft has changed all that much, but I think Microsoft is a safe, is kind of your your safest bet in a sense in, among big tech, because you don't have to bet on any, on any one thing. They seem to still be steering clear of, um, of regulatory threats. They do play in the metaverse, if you believe in that. They play in the cloud, they play in gaming. They're, they're winning this sort of battle for workplace collaboration, right? I mean, with Microsoft Teams, Microsoft and Teams is seems, Outlook. seems to be taking over everything um, because they are able to offer it for free, whereas Slack, which is owned by Salesforce now, has to charge for this specific um, 
product. Microsoft doesn't really have to do that. You know, they're also in consumer hardware. So I, I think there's a there's good reason that the stock is up 50% this year and it has this two and a half trillion dollar valuation. Um, it's also, it's not cheap. It trades for about 34 times um, earnings for the next 12 months. But it just, I don't, I think, um, I think Microsoft has become almost a staple uh, in the technology world. All right, let's move on to chip stocks. The semiconductor shortage was a huge theme of 2021. Where do things stand now? Yeah, so I think these two, two related things are happening. Um, chips have never been in more demand, right? Just because technology is taking over everything from cars to refrigerators um, and continuing to grow in sort of the more digital things like phones and, and mobile devices. Um, and I think to some degree, it sort of took this global shortage in these chips to really appreciate how they're the building blocks for it all. Um, so I think chip companies are still in a really good position heading into 2022. Um, I think the one company we still are not appreciating, so like NVIDIA has had this crazy run, for instance, uh, in, in 2021. Intel has gone pretty much nowhere, right? The stock is I think, flat on the year. It, I still think it's probably the best way to play the chip theme um, because unless you think that Intel is going away, it seems really, unlikely. Which seems unlikely uh, for a few reasons. One is that you know it's still got massive sales and really matters, even if it's fallen a little bit behind, right, uh, on the innovation front. But it's also really the best chance the U.S. has to kind of keep up with domestic chip production, right? Because keep in mind, so much of these chips are actually manufactured um, abroad. Um, and so I think for the US, Intel really is too big to fail. Um, and it has this new CEO who's been here what, about a year now um, and seems to have a good plan to help Intel recapture some of its uh, some of its old glory, you know? Um, so- A bit like I, General Motors back in the days of the financial crisis. Maybe, right. Maybe not quite that bad, but yeah. No, no, definitely not. I did but, not mean it from the standpoint of trouble. I yeah, and, 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 and government bailouts. Essential. And, and right, and the government couldn't let GM go out of business and didn't. Um, so, you know, I don't want to downplay um, Intel's risks, but at 14 times earnings next year, it really is just so cheap, um, especially when you consider that NVIDIA is trading at 56 times. So, A lot of those risks are embedded in the stock already. I think so. Right. So I want to go to a couple of questions here. I promised we would. Hal asks, what are the next dominant tech themes? AI, quantum computing, any other ideas? Hmm. So I think we've dispensed with the metaverse discussion. Yeah, let, right. Let's move on from the metaverse. Um, I think quantum computing is still like so far in the future. It's hard to really get there. Uh, AI is certainly an interesting one, but it's not one. I'm not sure the stories changed there significantly in 2021. You know, you mentioned um, the uh, you mentioned the podcast and the readback that I have done. We spent the whole last season talking about self-driving cars. That's certainly an AI theme. I still think I do think that's a huge topic. Uh, it's been slow to come about. I think, but I think we need to watch that. I think it has massive um, implications for for society uh, and the markets. Um, elect electric vehicles, for sure. If we consider that. Um, Technology is only growing in importance. Uh, I'm trying to think what else we could hit. Um, you know, I would have to add to this: Bitcoin, the cryptocurrency landscape, decentralized finance, NFTs. We don't think of it as tech per se, but it's all tech related. 
Yeah, and, and uh, you know, that's I, I'm skeptical of those in the same way. I, mean, I guess I'm skeptical of the metaverse to some degree, partly because I don't fully understand it, I'll admit. So it's hard for me to make a good case for it. Um, I do think fintech for sure is a huge continued theme. It's not a new one, but um, but yes, I think I think fintech generally and how we use technology to process payments um, and exchange goods or, or pay for the exchange of goods is it will remain a huge theme. Right. I maybe you know it, it incorporates all of these other themes. Yeah. But it's, I think one of the big surprises is that or one of the big surprises to some of us is that this entire universe grew this year and and attracted more believers. Yeah, yes. What, whatever we might think. Yes, that is true. So Steve has asked, you spoke about the amazing growth of Apple stock price over the last couple of years. It's pushing $3 trillion, we should add. What do you Very think... Close. What do you think will be the catalyst to keep the stock moving into 22 and 23? Or do you think growth will eventually start to slow? Yeah, right. Well, so 2022 and 2023 for Apple, we talked a little bit, first of all, about the transition, the continued transition to sort of the services model. So I think that's enough of a, of a push because of what it does for the, for the multiple and, and how investors value Apple. But there are potentially big things ahead for Apple from a product side as well. Um, again, I don't know that you invest for these reasons because I think they're really big unknowns, but there are a few different things going on there, right? One is what Apple decides to finally do around augmented reality and virtual reality. Do they come out with some form of, a, of an Apple glass? I think, you know, Apple glasses, Apple goggles. There are folks out there who think that is just as big for the future of, of the world and for the future of Apple as the iPhone was. Now, if that's the case, I mean, I don't like we're talking about Apple then at, at a, what, a $6 trillion company. Like, I don't even know how you price that in. Um, so that's one thing. There's also, um, there's the iPhone 14, of course, that's kind of just built in because I think everyone expects it. I don't know that it's going to be a game changer in any way. The other, but the other big unknown for Apple is what it does in the world of cars. I just mentioned self-driving. Um, you know, I, I think an Apple car, it's one of these things. It's sort of an option on the future of, of, of driving on EVs, potentially self-driving Apple. There's been some reports that they are very focused on autonomous driving. If they're going to build a car, I, I don't, that's another one that I don't really know how to, um, how to price in, uh, cars are certainly not a particularly, I mean, Tesla has taught us that you can make lots of money and get a high valuation for cars. And I guess that's what Apple's counting on. But at the end of the day, actually making cars is not a great business. So, um, those and they are, may not be making cars. It's been a lot of rumors. This has been a lot of rumors. And that's why I think on both of these, um, fronts, Apple has the resources they can, that's not to say the reports are false. I pro I'm sure Apple is making a big push inside right now to think about how they do this. But I also think we know from Apple's history that they're willing to just say, to think about things and then not do that. Right. I mean, that right. happened with an Apple television set, um, five, 10 years ago. They never really, they never did it, despite the fact that for a while, it's all we wanted to talk about. So, you know, that that's um, that's what I would say about Apple. But again, I'm not sure any of those things need to happen for the stock to work, so. All right, I wanna close with a question that Rod asks about Alibaba. Valuations are crazy cheap, or the valuation of Alibaba is crazy cheap relative to US tech companies. I think he notes it trades for just 16.5 times earnings. 
Is the reaction to what's happened in China overblown? Over 20 analysts have a buy rating on Alibaba, yet the stock continues to be under pressure. What do you think? Yeah, right. So this is like one of those things. We've had this debate um, in the newsroom about Alibaba for a few months now, uh, a pretty spirited debate. It is cheap. I mean, they're, they're on every financial metric, Alibaba is a stock that kind of feels like a no-brainer to, be, to, to own right now um, because of how dominant it is and because of how cheap it is versus every other player in the e-commerce world. But I, I think the problem is, for me, that, and is that valuation just, it, it doesn't matter, right? It's not about valuation right now for Alibaba. I don't see that as being, it, yes, it helps, but I don't see that as being what's going to move the stock because there's just so much uncertainty around how the Chinese government is going to continue to handle foreign ownership of its companies. Um, you know, if they get rid of these variable interest entities, which is how a U.S. investor can invest in Alibaba, you know, you're not directly owning Alibaba in the U.S. Um, I feel like all really all bets are off. Um, and even if they don't, if Alibaba rem it remains in the crosshairs of Chinese regulators, that who knows what they're going to have to do to satisfy those demands from the government. And, and it could be very damaging to the business or pricing to the business. So, you know, a lot of that may be priced in right now, but I just, I don't know. There, it, there's no way to know. And so that's why I, I wouldn't be comfortable owning Alibaba right now. And, and I, I think it could be, a, you could be missing a huge opportunity by not owning it, but I just, there's, I don't know. There's no way to get comfortable. I would have no way of getting comfortable with it. I think we're going to continue debating that one in the newsroom for quite a while. And Rod, we will update you if we come to a conclusion. <laughs> sure. <laughs> anyway, on that note, we need to sign off for today. Alex, I want to thank you once again for a wonderful call and your great insights. I want to thank our listeners as well. That is it for today and for the year. As I mentioned earlier in the program, Barron's Live will be taking a holiday next week. But We'll be right back on January 3rd when I'll be speaking with Barron's Deputy Editor Ben Levison about the week ahead in stocks and some thoughts about the new year. I want to thank our tremendously loyal audience for listening in this year and keeping us on your toes, on our toes, excuse me, with your excellent questions. We've seen several examples of those today. I hope we have rewarded your interest and attention. And on behalf of Barron's, I want to wish you a joyous holiday season and a happy, healthy, and prosperous new year. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.